one more week for Down the Rabbit Hole with episode 60. And this is a special edition because we're revisiting something that we did last year for the first time. Yes, which was very entertaining and interesting at the same time. Yeah. And we're talking about the Ig Nobel Prizes. Yes, which have just been presented. Yes. And uh, it was presented on the... September 14th, which yep. was just a few days ago, mm-hmm. and as usual, it took place in the, um, somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> At oh, the Harvard the S- Sanders Theatre. The Sanders Theatre, that's it, yeah, yeah. And, and um, we thought we'd step through them. Yes, and this is the, was the 27th uh, annual yes. uh, prize ceremony. I find it interesting that it always says... The 27th first annual. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whatever. Anyway, so, um, yeah, there are some... In- we should just mention really fast for the people that don't know... Should we? What are the Ig Nobel Prizes? Very good. And the prizes are, uh, were very created to honor achievements in science... Yes. Uh, ...that first make people laugh. Yeah. Thinking but it's crazy. But start to think about it, like... Hmm. Yeah. I wonder also about that, maybe. Because yeah. most times there's a kind of a serious point in there yeah. somewhere, isn't there? Uh-huh. Um, and it kind of, you're kind of drawn into it to actually read a little yeah. bit more about it. And Yeah, and it covers all kinds of uh, <laughs> science, medicine, technology, different categories, interests. Different categories. Yeah, and different they, categories. And they don't always have all categories every year. Sometimes, no, they change. For example, this year there's no prize for literature. No, or a prize um, for uh, chemistry was also last year, last year, I think. Yes, I don't think there's a prize for chemistry. So, shall we begin? Yes, because, wow, this is going to be interesting. You want to start or I start? Um, with the first? I don't mind. You can start, start on the first okay. one. Then, the first one is the Physics Prize. Yeah. And this is a collaboration between France, Singapore, and the US. Yes. And uh, is. Uh, Awarded to Marc Antoine Fardin, mm. or Fardin, I don't know, depends if it's French or Fardin, something like that, think, yeah. for using fluid dynamics to probe the question yeah. can a cat be both a solid and a liquid? Yeah, and a, a great question. Yeah, that's a great question, right? A because question. what was the objective of all this? Yeah. That uh, in, in their, in their, poster in their uh, yeah. uh, paper yeah. called On the Rheology of Cats, mm. they argue that the cats can technically be regarded as simultaneously solid and liquid yeah. due to their uncanny ability to adopt the shape of their container. Yeah, which is interesting. Yes. And how did he kind of go about? Well, they put an example there and they follow something like this, which right. was creating time lapses. All right. So they put us an example that, for example, when you have a time lapse of a glacier yeah. of several years, mm-hmm. you will on, uh, definitely see the uh, flow down the mountain. Right, kind of adapting goes, to the shape of yes, the... and goes down. Yeah. So for the cats, they did the same uh, idea, and they said that the same principle holds. Yeah. So they created this, observing a cat on a... On a time larger, larger than, than the time spends uh, in relaxation. Yeah. And it will be soft mm. and adapt to the container the cat is in, like a liquid so would it, do. So it kind of just kind of 
relaxes expense. into the shape. It's yeah. That's the volume available. It uses all the volume around. Yeah. yeah. Let all the body just yeah. expands. So was the point proven then that uh, that cats adapts to so a cat can a container. be both a solid and a liquid? I believe that yes. While they say that physically is like this within the limits, it's mostly of, like uh, yeah. They relax. They're more flexible. They adapt to the shape the, where they are contained. They're very good at chilling out. Yes, cats. Right. So you put, for example, because there was a big example a few years ago. Of, mm. Cats be put in jars, for example. Uh, I don't know if you yes. remember that. Well, that's what the internet's for. Yes. Uh, some well, actually, it was considered a hoax because it seems that they were selling the cats, but there was definitely some images of cats inside of yeah. uh, jars. Jars, <laughs> and I, the cats were literally also filling the yeah, jars. They, can, they do fill them, don't they? They fill them. Yeah. 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 And in fact, if you pay attention, a cat really because their flexibility. Yeah. They can really squeeze in very tight places, yeah, and then they get there. They, it's a bit like uh, like mice do, isn't it? Mice seem to be yes. able to get through very Tiny small spaces. Spaces yeah. to do with the flexibility of their skeleton, their cartilage. Yeah. Uh-huh. So maybe cats have a similar. It's a similar thing setup, right? Yeah, but you're right. I have seen pictures of cats kind of filling. Jars, bo- uh, boxes. boxes is they like, love, wow. They're kind of very curious about yeah. containers, aren't they? Wouldn't that be an interesting experiment? Find out why cats love boxes. Yeah, why? You put a box, a new box, bring up a new box in front of a cat and they will be, love it. Yeah. They will immediately jump on it, try to occupy it and, you know. Why that is? I have no idea. Hmm. <laughs> proposal for the next <laughs> but yeah, this is what this is what the ignoble website needs is yeah. suggestions right <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah, well, you could suggest that that one yeah. yeah so so this is the physics price yeah. for can cats uh, be both solid and liquid yes and I believe Mr. Fardin actually turned up for the um, presentation yes I think he actually showed up for that yeah. yes he did which is wonderful actually mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think People need to have see the funny side of their their work. Right? Uh-huh. So anyway, the the next one uh, is the Peace Prize, uh-huh. and this was actually shared between Switzerland, Canada, the Netherlands, and the US. I'm not going to name everybody who was involved, <laughs> but the interesting research they did was demonstrating that uh, regular playing of a didgeridoo. Now, if it, I'm sure most people know what a didgeridoo is, but it's one of those Australian Aboriginal instruments, musical instruments, which is effectively a, a hollow pipe. Yeah, right? a pipe, yeah. And uh, yeah. they make that very strange, vibrating sound that's very low, um, quite haunting. Anyway... They explored whether regular playing of the didgeridoo might be an effective treatment for sleep apnea or uh-huh. snoring, right? Yeah. You know, and, and, and sleep, sleep apnea is where it usually occurs when you're led on your back and it's your nasal, your breathing yes, airways uh, closing up. Sometimes the tongue comes backwards. Yeah, yeah. and it uh, can or, stop your breathing. Right? Yeah, you stop breathing for... 
seconds. Well, longer. We can, Sometimes more. The problem is it can strain your heart. That's yeah. The, that's the problem. So obviously finding an effective treatment will be quite good. So uh, this collaborative team had a look at it and they looked at, is there a way of reducing the this collapsibility of the airways in patients with moderate sleep apnea uh, and snoring? And the conclusion after much experimentation, was that, in fact, uh, it was an effective treatment Mm -hmm. um, for people with uh, moderate sleep apnea. Um, Now, we kind of thought about this. Yeah. And we thought, well, if you're kind of doing this in bed (laughs) with the wife, yeah, really, you know... Didgeridoo. I mean, they are quite large yeah. and loud. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you, maybe they recommend some kind of uh, regime where you do twenty minutes, <laughs> twenty minutes a day after waking up or something. Yeah, or <laughs> after brushing your teeth before you go to <laughs> yeah. bed, twenty minutes on the old didgeridoo, and you'll sleep like a baby, right? Yeah. Your partner, of course, will. Their nerves will be jangling for the next three hours. <laughs> yeah. They will be doing nothing. But again, um, the reasoning was why it was effective. Yeah. Was that it was actually exercising the muscles, the muscles. around the airways and making them more um, more firm. Firm. Yeah. yeah. Building so them they up. don't relax too much to the point that they close them. That's right. So they, they held the shape mm-hmm. of the, the airway. So... Maybe the, there are other things you could do other yeah. than a didgeridoo play. Uh-huh. That um, is interesting. It maybe is interesting. Maybe I, I would like to try that. Maybe playing any wind instrument. Mm. Because it's all to do with the... With your yeah, breathing. but for example, if you have a block flute, for example. That's true. A flute, I don't think... Uh, you, have, you have to blow a didgeridoo blow really hard. hard. A trumpet. Oh, a trumpet could be good, actually, I think. Or, you know, a slide trombone. That'd be good in bed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you do the old... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe somebody washed their underwear late and put in the trombone and shaking it <laughs> and trying to dry it out. <laughs> yeah. So I think the experiment... We would suggest repeating the experiment with either a trumpet or, or, a, or a slide trombone. Yeah. Yeah, because I think that would lead to all kinds of uh-huh. humorous outcomes, I think. <laughs> so, yeah, so that was the um, the Peace Prize. And, of course, why was it the Peace Prize? It's of course, simple to know Peace why. in the bedroom, right? Yeah. Because, yeah, people sleeping with somebody who snores loudly uh-huh. or has apnea. I mean, I knew somebody who had apnea, and um, it was worrying when when they stop breathing because you actually kind of tense up thinking when are they going to start breathing uh-huh so it is quite stressful for your partner whether it's less stressful than uh, them listening to you playing a didgeridoo i don't know but <laughs> yeah so that's that's why it was given the peace prize so yeah. well we have the next one which is the <laughs> Economics Prize. Yes. Oh, we had something like that, I think, last year as well. Uh, I think there was... What was the one with the rocks and the... Uh, oh, the rocks, wasn't it? And oh, the, the rocks around window, the shop windows. Shop windows. This is nothing 
Uh-huh. No, but this was awarded between Australia and the US, yeah. Matthew Rockloff and Nancy Greer. Yeah. And their experiment, actually... Mm-hmm. A very was imaginative to, experiment. Yeah, I was wondering how they come up with this yeah, idea. Yeah. Is how contact with a <laughs> live crocodile yeah. affects a person's willingness to gamble. Yeah, now it's not often you actually get to say all those words together in one sentence, is no. it? No. Crocodile and gambling. And gambling. In one sentence. It's well, maybe if you gamble your life, if you want to kill it or make... Uh, yeah. Or tickle a crocodile like the Flintstones, you know? Tickle one to make him sleep or something like that. That's true. In cartoons, I think they do that. They do that all the time, yeah. So, the thing is... What did they do? <laughs> they were putting people <laughs> to hold a one meter saltwater crocodile. Yeah, like is a saltwater crocodile not as ferocious as other kinds, yeah. or are they a bit more uh, relaxed, handleable? <laughs> Handle, handleable. <laughs> so they were uh, holding the crocodile, yeah, then taking it away, mm. and then. Measure how much they were gambling. How much, how much risk, risk? How much risk they, they can take. take? Yeah. So the result is that these uh, people, some of them, were getting uh, high arose <laughs> <laughs> while <laughs> holding the crocodile. Yeah. And it was reflected in their gambling, taking it, more risk. Yeah. And you know. Yeah. But it only worked. Yes. Of course, it was a you know, correctly done uh-huh. experiment. They had a control yeah. group. Control they, group. So they had a group that didn't hug the crocodile. And a, and a then group a group that, that hauled, but they measured, uh, and uh, they didn't feel it okay. Yeah. So the group that didn't hold the uh, crocodile before they were given the gambling task took less risk. Right? Yeah. So, and the other thing they found was that um, the ones that uh, held the crocodile that did take more risk, were actually also those individuals who had a a, a risk-taking mm-hmm. tendency in their psychological makeup. Yeah. And um, they tended to take more risk after hugging the crocodile yeah. if they didn't perceive that in a negative way. Uh-huh. So if I, they felt scared yeah, or uncomfortable with or it, anxious or anxious or something, they noticed that people were not taking that risks. Yeah. So and probably the only thing that this crocodile was doing is show up the, I don't know, maybe the character of each person. Yeah, I, I suspect that if you ask the person to hold a yeah. tarantula spider, you'd uh-huh. similar thing, right? Uh-huh. You know, you probably when when you put the crocodile down and you're given the gambling task if you are anxious or frightened your mind is more on the yeah. i just held a crocodile yeah I'm but it is on the, the um, mm-hmm. i'm not really focusing on this because i'm still thinking about that right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um so yeah i suspect it's interesting yeah but i'm not sure would it work with a snake i think it's down to the psychology of the individual of right? yeah so some people are frightened of spiders. Mm-hmm. Some people are frightened of snakes. Some people have, most people have never touched a snake. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And certainly most people have never had a spider as big as a dinner plate on them. <laughs> I, I don't think it will have the same effect on crocodile boots, right? I, or handbags. <laughs> or handbags. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, 
That would be different shades. Which of we don't really experiment. Uh, we don't condone. Condone that. Really. Yeah. No, that's right. <laughs> I mean, we like the odd fur coat, but not handbags. <laughs> not crocodile handbags. So, an interesting experiment. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. It's kind of like the suggestion: high arousal can intensify gambling in at-risk players. Uh-huh. Is is probably not. Because you see... Yeah, because it's not... Or I don't know if it's linked to the fact that the more you risk, the more chances you have to win. Therefore, your economy grows. Well, and, and, <laughs> or, and also you see, <clears throat> you've, you see examples of people gambling in casinos and if they're kind of pumped, they take more risk. Yeah. You know, if they're... Uh, mm-hmm. How shall I say? If they are being somehow psychologically pumped up, yeah. they will take more risk. Yeah. Unfortunately, it will never assure you that you will get more money. Absolutely not, because the house <laughs> always wins. Remember that, folks. Yes. So, um... That was the economics prize. And, uh, yeah, an interesting one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the anatomy prize. Uh-huh. I had a bit of a... I had some trouble actually accessing the... Yeah. The notes. I did read them briefly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you, you were doing this one, so... Uh, I just I did, did the one of I the crocodile. It's your turn. Damn. <laughs> how, how did I end up with this one? Okay. Well, the anatomy prize <laughs> uh, is um, strangely only awarded to one country, yeah. uh, to uh, James Heathcote, uh, for his medical research study, Why Do Old Men Have Big Ears? Yeah. Now, apparently... This is a common uh, perception that the older men get, the bigger, get bigger their the ears. ears seem to be in proportion to their heads. But, but it was not like the ears were just growing. Uh, it, they the, were... The conclusion, yeah. <laughs> the conclusion that they came to was that there is an apparency of um, the ears getting bigger, uh-huh. but... Clearly, they're not actually getting bigger. Um, so, there were no earth-shattering conclusions from the "Why do old men have big ears?" And I would like to raise the point uh-huh. of gender equality as to why this same thing doesn't apply to women. Possibly huh. because they tend to have their ears covered more than men do. I don't know. Mm, no. There was some argument about uh, um, gravity. Was there? Yeah. Pulling what, them. What, in this? Yeah. Really? Yes. But... Uh, well, there was an argument that yeah. aging caused the ears to extend downwards or something. Are you kidding me? No. Wait a moment. I didn't read that bit. So, I, I don't know. I cannot find it right now, but I think it... Yeah. So I was saying that probably could be uh, Earth's gravity, you know, pulling down. But like you said, it could affect also women, right? Yeah, surely, yeah. Unless they affect it somewhere else. I don't, <laughs> I don't think we should get into that. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. We haven't got that long. So, yeah. So, I, I actually remember the same question. Why? Yeah, why Why do that? Uh-huh. Well, I, well, one bit I did read was that it was actually a bunch of doctors, like what we call in the UK general practitioners, which are like mm. family doctors. Right? Yeah. And basically, uh, this was part of an effort to encourage 
GPs, family doctors, to actually do some original research besides their daily activities. Uh-huh. And they were saying, well, what could we research about? And somebody actually came up with, These well, ones. have you noticed that older men seem to have bigger ears? And that actually set one of the, I think James Heathcote is a family doctor, yeah. and it set him off to actually investigate, was that true or not? And the and the conclusion was that it appeared to be true, but not for obvious reasons, mm-hmm. which might chime in with what you were saying about maybe gravity or something. Mm-hmm. But Well, know, I was thinking now, actually, that the proper documentation of something like this mm-hmm. would be to take a young adult, right. measure, yeah. And then follow them for and the next them. 70 years. Exactly. <laughs> so a, a longitudinal study of uh-huh. ear size relative to head size. Mm-hmm. I think you could be onto something there. I think there's probably an EU grant in there somewhere. Mm. So Let's do that before somebody else We'll does. talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Get that grant while the UK is still in the EU. Right? <laughs> yeah. So... I'm glad in the end, having looked at the next one, of having got the anatomy prize, because you can now do the biology prize. <laughs> the biology prize. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, <clears throat> this prize, biology prize, yeah. was awarded to Japan, a collaboration between Japan, Brazil, and Switzerland. Yeah. Uh, we have some uh, interesting names. Yeah. We don't have in to In the do pronouncing it. ones. Uh, Kasunori Yoshiwawa. Yoshiawa. Yoshisawa. <laughs> Sorry. You could have skipped it. Rodrigo Ferreira. Uh, Yoshitaka Kamimura. And Charles Linghart. Sounds like he's a Swiss guy, right? Oh, yeah, I think I think yeah. that's the Swiss uh, guy, I, not the I, Japanese guy, I've for got, sure. I've got a feeling. Yeah. <laughs> and also, certainly he's not Brazilian. But what did they do? Do, they discover yeah. a female penis and a male vagina in a cave insect. Yeah. This is earth-shattering wow. stuff. Earth a lot of free time. Too much free time <laughs> would be my guess. Well, here are the highlights. Some females of the cave uh, insect uh, called... Um, Neotrogla. Yeah. Have an elaborate penis-like organ. I'm already yeah. super interested. The female penis acts as an intromitted organ and mm. anchors the female to the male. Yeah, Do so I, you can go away. Kind of possession, yeah. control. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> None of this is familiar. No. Correlated evolution is detected between the female penis and the male genitalia. Yeah. Because the males had a kind of a vagina there. Yeah. Where these uh, female penis engage. So that's how they, yeah. you know, hold you. Latch on. Latch on, exactly. Yeah. You will enjoy this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know how... I don't know where we can go with this. No, I don't know. Uh, I'm just glad this is just restricted to a spider in a cave. That's... Yeah, exactly. Or else we probably wouldn't be having this conversation right now. <laughs> I suspect. <laughs> Will not be something new, actually. No. no. <laughs> this is, no. Actually, something new, if this was normal, would be the other way around, right? Yeah, that's so true. So the discovery of a, a female vagina <gasps> in yeah, a cave. Like, oh, my God. 
that is unbelievable. How is that possible? Yeah. How would that work? Right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, so I'm, I'm glad in a way that... Um, I think, yeah, we don't have that much to say anymore about that and, one. And is this to do... This actually just triggered a thought off in my mind. You know, often when you read about mating stuff in the spider world, that quite often the female kills the male afterwards. Oh, yes. So the, I wonder whether this... Is something you know, similar. Now I've got you. <laughs> yeah. You know, they kind of latch on uh-huh. and uh, you're not going anywhere. Yeah, this eliminates the need to have a... Uh, well, I think it means the female... Somebody with a shotgun taking well, you to the altar. The female yeah. spider in this situation can, once she's latched on, can kind of sit back and relax, read a book, while the male does all the work, right? <laughs> and then the female spider finishes reading the book, maybe has a cigarette, and then afterwards pulls out the big butcher's knife and... You're done. Your job is done. Yeah, yeah. You're done, right? Thank you very much and goodbye. Right? Yes. So I, I think this is kind of to do with this thing isn't it that the, the female mm. spiders quite often kill the the males whether they're happy or not with the performance <laughs> <laughs> uh, they just you know there's no there's no mm-hmm. this isn't a long-term relationship we're engaging in here right yeah we're, I not, don't know. we're not gonna we're not doing three dates and you know all this stuff right? yeah so <laughs> I don't know what else to say, to be honest. We're going straight to third base, and that's yeah, it. Yeah, that's it, that's it. There's no first, second. No. Third base, and you're out. And better we go to that fluid dynamics I think, prize. I think we'd better go to the yeah, next one. Which is your turn. Wait, thank you, because we're just going to get into trouble. <laughs> so, yeah, so the fluid dynamics prize is quite earth-shattering. Yeah, which actually reminds me of the first one we said from physics, where they were using fluid Actually, dynamics. yes. This is uh, also using fluid dynamics. Yeah. And this is a prize uh, shared between South Korea and the USA. And the guy, I think he's called Jiwon Han. Mm-hmm. Uh, he studied the dynamics of liquid sloshing to learn what happens, and this is the breakthrough, thought, I think, to learn what happens when a person walks backwards while carrying a cup of coffee. Yeah. Now, I looked at the paper. Did you look at the paper? It is... Not all of it, but... It is long. There's a lot of graphs. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff, right? And basically... Very long paper. Yeah, that's what I thought. It was way too long. Very long. I... Went straight to the conclusions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, read, yeah, I yeah. read the first sentence and the conclusions. And basically, the, the conclusion he came to, and I think we all need to take this on board. Especially if you work in an office. I think so, because you do a lot of walking backwards with coffee. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but I've, I've been here, right? <laughs> and basically, rest assured, science has proven that although when you start walking backwards, you tend to spill... If you persist and keep walking backwards, there are less spillages as you continue. Mm-hmm. So I think you need to take some comfort in that, that if you go through the spillage stage, you get into a kind of 
more consistent yeah. non So let's say that if I walk forwards with my cup of coffee, mm. uh, there's a big possibility that I'm going to spill mm. and keep on spilling until I reach the point where I raise the cup. Well, I actually don't believe there's any difference between going backwards and forwards because okay. I don't know whether you've noticed, but when you have a very full cup, when you set off, you're kind of a little bit jerky. Yeah, yeah, and you, normal. And you kind of, I, you know, your spatial eye-hand eye coordination yeah. needs to settle down a bit, doesn't mm-hmm, it? Mm-hmm. And I've, I personally have noticed, because I like a nice full cup of tea, mm-hmm. and when I'm carrying it initially, I see some sloppiness, but then I kind of look at it and kind of lock in the old mm-hmm. noodle gyroscopes, right? Yeah. And it kind of settles down, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It and, gets under control. And you can, so I suspect, although he's addressed himself to walking backwards, I don't think there's any difference to walking forwards. I'm just putting that challenge out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you think. Actually, but, well, we, I didn't read the whole paper, but maybe this would be a good comparison and a point of... Uh, well, I think he should at least... I think, I wonder, I didn't read the whole paper, as I said. Well, they certainly didn't cover going forwards. They should have, I think. I think so. Because it would then you have a, a parameter for comparison. Well, you know, you get the impression that this is a unique behavior, and I, I, I'm not convinced. You know, mm-hmm. and what if somebody has some problem like Parkinson? <laughs> <laughs> that that is a very interesting point. Would it still be safer to walk backwards? It could be the same forwards and backwards. We don't know, yeah. do we? We don't know. Uh-huh. I have to well, say... you're scared. I, I, yes, you're in a Scooby-Doo type scenario yeah. where you're in the fairground or that kind of stuff. Or, or I'd just like to mention that in the beginning of his paper, he, he did talk about glasses of wine, wine glasses instead of mugs. Mm-hmm. And apparently in a wine glass, the behaviour is different. He didn't go into it too much, but he said when you have a wine glass, the surface tends to ripple, but it doesn't spill. But I suspect that's mm. to do with the shape. With of the, the shape, yeah, yeah, the shape and because the height. Of, often a wine glass is like that, yeah. curved, curving and inwards. Did they men- did they mention if it was uh, fully? Loaded. Loaded, or was just like half yeah, cup? He, or... didn't, he didn't specify completely. Okay. Um, but I wonder whether, you know, you can get some mugs uh-huh. that, are, that curve inwards towards the top. Yeah. I'm not sure he actually specified. I got a well, feeling he's yeah. talking about straight-sided mugs, right? That would be interesting because what happens is that if the liquid goes higher, it, the upper part, it will collapse it, down. It curves inwards, right? Yeah, it, it comes down yeah, anyway. like a wave, you know, uh-huh, it's like uh-huh. a pushing it over. Whereas... Straight-sided mug. Or outside, because many mugs are to the outside. We just go on and spill. We've already come up with questions. Yeah. It's sad that the only piece of research that we've come up with extensive questions of our own about... (laughs) (laughs) Spilling coffee. Spilling drinks. (laughs) But I suppose we have the most experience of this. Yeah. I have a question for you. Mm. Do you think that if we would have the chance, yeah. would you attend to the next Ignoble Prizes as a spectator at least? I would love to. Would it be cool to make a report there live, like recording the, the could, guys? That'd be super cool, Like it? Like they doing the Oscars and stuff. After receiving your prize, you come to 
Uh, booze. Uh, for a quick interview. A quick interview. That would be amazing, no? Dude, I think I might write to them. That would be good to do. For next year. For next year. God, I'd love to do that. Yeah, me too. Damn. We're, <laughs> we're going on a road trip. <laughs> <laughs> now, the next prize. Oh, you're you're on this one. Right? Yeah, it's my turn because, uh, and well, actually, this is nutrition prize. Oh, yes, this is a good one. Yeah, and we're talking about a prize that was shared between countries like Brazil, Canada, yeah. and Spain. Fernanda Ito, Enrico Bernard, and Rodrigo Torres. And it is an unusual application of the Nutrition Prize, I think. Yes. For the first scientific report of human blood in the diet of the hairy-legged vampire bat. Yes, the most feared vampire bat of all. The one with hairs. The hairy-legged bats. That's spooky. Somebody, <laughs> something with hairs. It's just not right, right. Yeah. Bats with hairy legs, it shouldn't be allowed. Yeah. So, yeah. They what? should sell some kind of things for shaving. <laughs> I'm sure the female hairy-legged vampire bat has got that covered. Yeah, yeah probably, probably. It's yeah. the it, it's smooth. These are yeah, smooth as silk. Yeah, I suspect these are male vampire bats. <laughs> Could be <laughs> <laughs> because they just don't care, right? Yeah. So what they did was they used PCR amplification of DNA mm. uh, uh, of DNA fragments of the feces in vampire uh, in the vampire A particular uh, species species. Uh, this one, uh, which is. Uh, Ecaudata, D-E-C-A-U-Data. So they detected that uh, the regular consumption of chicken blood and human blood. I know. Interesting. And in the paper, it talks about how um, difficult the adaption is that has to be made for bats to actually use blood as their main. Mm -hmm. This bat, it is its only food source. It's blood. blood. Yeah. It doesn't do anything else. Just and blood. they were saying that uh, the record of humans as prey and the absence of blood from those uh, native species... Yeah, like small animals and all that. Yeah, may things. reflect a low availability of wild birds yeah. in the study site. Yeah. So that reinforces the impact on the human activities on the local ecological processes. Yeah, so it's kind of like you can see there's a, there's a connection between... Mm-hmm. Uh, Environment damage, environmental damage, habitat damage. The habitat damage and humans get sucked. And be- <laughs> <laughs> so the bat behavior is modifying well, due to shortage of food sources. Yeah, because humans are not the only ones to adapt to their conditions. Exactly, exactly. And obviously the bats are showing a response to a change in There's their There's no birds or maybe chickens. Yeah. They need to get their blood somehow. Let's move up the food chain, right? Yeah. And, um, Apparently, this bat can pass rabies, which, as we know, is quite unpleasant. Yeah. Um, It can pass rabies in its bite. So Uh that that is why, actually, this is, you know, quite relevant for people in these areas. Oh, definitely. Um, So they should actually be putting stuff out to feed these bats Mm -hmm. or doing something to do, make it less attractive. I mean, how do you imagine a vampire bat actually feeds on a human? How how does that? Okay. Well, it has to be like a bite, certainly. But what are you going to be asleep or? Not necessarily, what and I don't it? think it has to be the neck, like the classical <laughs> Dracula vampire of style. Of course, it has to be the neck. So how I do think you... they just come bite and well, just 
Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they can come in a hand. So it's more of a sip than a drain. I don't know. It's a shot. Maybe. A blood shot. <laughs> yeah. Human blood shots rather than, uh, <laughs> rather than chugging. It's, well, uh, may, unless you get somebody with high cholesterol. What yeah. happens there? There's a thing. Or somebody who's recently had cocaine. <laughs> Will the, well, the bat get also the high? The bat would go batshit crazy. Batshit crazy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is interesting. It is interesting. Maybe they should make those uh, bats to try somebody under the influence of certain alcohol, for example, also. Alcohol. Or some decent... Class A drugs, right? Mm-hmm. Hallucinogenics, all that stuff. They should certainly get influenced by that. Or... Or it, maybe their biology processes that. Thing. Or could they feed humans in the area rabies vaccine? Through the bat. So, no. So that when the bat bites them... You cure the bat. It gets transferred to the bat. Oh. Reverse... The process. Vaccination. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And eliminate. Yeah. Yeah. Ra- rabies in bats. But there could be something in that. Yeah. Uh, another note here, so we yeah. ask for another font. Just copyright. Another it. grant, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, <clears throat> I, I mean, quite interesting, I think, that, mm-hmm. um, that bat thing. But I am curious about how bats bite humans. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I just imagine it's a bite. I mean, in the end, it's like an animal it has to bite you. Yeah. So you don't think. But it's not sucked through the teeth, obviously. No. That's <laughs> <laughs> so disappointing, that. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> like two. <laughs> the two uh, straws. They are straws, actually. <laughs> two straws. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, I suppose you're right. The, the, I suppose it's opportunistic with humans, isn't it's it? It's opportunistic. I don't they think just it's a... come no. down, bite, and you bat it, bat it off. Bat it off and goes away. <laughs> and it goes away, right? Yeah. So, uh, who's that doing this it. one? Um, who did the last one? I even forgot who did the last one. Who did one. that one? I mean, oh, you did that I one. I did that one, yeah. So it's your turn. I get the medicine prize. The medicine one. Oh, boy. Uh, Okay, the medicine prize, interesting, I think. Uh, Share between France and the UK. Uh, France, Jean-Pierre Royer, I think his name Uh is, and David Menier, uh, Nicolas Torquet, and Amri Mouli, and Tai Zhang, which I presume... Is somebody working under a work permit in the, the UK. UK or France? <laughs> Probably the UK. Anyway, they had the wonderful idea of using uh, brain advanced brain scanning technology to measure the level of disgust people experience um, by eating cheese. by eating cheese. Now, I obviously now I don't know how many. People are aware of this, but France has a very strong, shall we say, tradition of cheese Tradition making. of cheese, yeah. Uh, not, you know, not a very wide range of cheese from mm-hmm. hard cheeses all the way to really soft, smelly. Soft and soft, smelly. Very smelly. 
So they do everything. They have like five or six hundred different types of cheese from you mm-hmm. could you could eat that anywhere to you actually need to eat that with a hazmat suit on and you know yeah. handle it with gloves and pincers and and funny funny story here. Mm. I read this uh, price uh, loud while my daughter was uh, around oh, first yeah. For, yeah. when we were researching a bit. Yeah. And the first thing I got is how can somebody get disgusted <laughs> by cheese? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting actually, isn't it? Yeah. Um well, at least I and my daughter we both love uh, cheese. So, so do I. I love like, cheese, but yeah. apparently some people don't. And what they were surprised to discover was that the mechanism they inferred from their results mm-hmm. was that the mechanism um, that kind of stores our liking for something is probably also responsible for storing our dislike of something. Mm-hmm. So it actually was thought to only store things we did like but they actually now think the same brain mechanism actually stores the things that we don't like. Yeah, and, and that is, anything we don't like. And that is new. So it's kind of like a two-sided list. This yeah. stuff you like, this stuff you don't like. And uh, what they found was that uh, the disgust for cheese in those individuals that uh, suffer from it probably results initially from a physiological discomfort. In other words, uh-huh. they either don't like the look of it or they don't like the, the smell, smell of, of it, it or possibly the taste of it, presumably. Um, and it then modifies this uh, circuitry in the brain, the mesocorticolimbic circuitry. <laughs> of reward. Which is where it's thought reward behaviour is. Yeah. Uh, they now think this actually also stores the opposite of reward, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. the disgust stuff. So a fantastic use of an MRI scanner, I think. <laughs> um, Interesting. And, you know, as a resource, obviously uh, an MRI scanner is um, quite an expensive piece of equipment. But in the, you know, in the pursuit of higher cheese consumption, and presumably what they're seeking is some kind of treatment mm-hmm. program for people who apparently dislike cheese. So, so presumably people are not born with a dislike of cheese. You create that. It, it's something you come to over time and therefore mm-hmm. is treatable. Yeah. So maybe with cognitive behaviour therapy, you can actually be cured yeah. of this disgust. Yeah, m- m- sometimes or many times, this kind of uh, rejects, fears and stuff have to do with certain yeah. thing happening. Childhood and aso- events. And, and yeah. associated with that event. Yeah. So maybe if you don't like certain type of cheese, maybe it truly is because of the smell. Uh, possibly. What if then you try to produce the same kind of cheese without that smell? Or, Could it be engineered, let's say? Or you do something like they do with, uh, like, uh, fears of things like uh, fears of spiders, where what yeah. they do is, over a period of time, introduce you to spiders in different settings to blunt your yeah. your reaction, your your flight-or-fight response. Yeah, maybe first with a paper that has imprinted a spider in the corner. Yeah, 
or a plastic spider. Yeah, yeah, it's just a... And you start to move there from there to a video to, I don't know, a plastic spider. And then you end up, you know, adopting a giant huntsman spider as a pet. (laughs) And you take it for walks with a collar and chain, you know. But maybe with the cheeses, um, you start out with cheeses that, you know, you do the full-spectrum treatment from non-smelly hard cheeses. The problem is that you potentially, by the time you get to the point where you can actually handle these cheeses you don't like, you've either probably had a stroke or a heart attack <laughs> <laughs> because the amount of fat you've absorbed. Especially if they kept you only sitting and eating cheese. <laughs> <laughs> That's, right. That's all you're allowed to eat. You're not leaving this laboratory till you can eat this smelly cheese, right? So I I can understand how the cheese industry might be interested in understanding. Actually, yeah. Right, of course. To produce a cheese that everybody would eat. Yeah. Without any yeah, so if anything, you, if you could understand better what was um, putting people off, yeah. you can do something about it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the next next one, one cognition prize, yeah, awarded to Italy, Spain, UK to the scientist Matteo Martini, mm. uh, Ilaria Buffalari, mm-hmm. Maria Antonietta Stasi, and Salvatore Maria Agliotti mm. for demonstrating demonstrating that many identical twins. <laughs> Cannot tell themselves apart visually. Yeah. Wait, By the way, who are you? Is it me? What? No, you is you, right? Is this a mirror? Yeah, it's a mirror. This? No. I don't think people would believe we're that we are identical. twins. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, identical twins. Identical separated twins. at birth. Whoa. You were adopted in Mexico. Yeah. I was raised in, in the UK. In the UK. Somehow we found each other over the decades. Uh huh. And now we stare confusedly at each other, going, <laughs> is that me talking? No. So anyway, w- w- we found this highly, yeah. highly interesting and amusing, didn't we? Interesting and amusing, yeah. I mean, uh, my wife was saying uh, an interesting... Um, the lady in the kitchen. The, yes. <laughs> about uh, uh, some common, uh, a friend that we have that, has oh, yeah. twins twin children and even for them is uh, identical twins and it has become hard to As tell the parents they can't tell yeah. who is who yeah well i've read of many um, occasions where apparently identical twins actually substitute for each other when yeah. they don't want to do a certain thing the the other twin will do it mm-hmm. instead mm-hmm. and they can take exams for the other exams. twin i mean it's got a lot of advantages hasn't it even in video games and stories, you find that, right? Yeah, like criminal stuff where there's yes. identical twins. We've all. What was the name of that series with the FBI? Um, there are so many. Where they train? What's the name? Um, what's the name of this place where the FBI agents train before? Joining? Quantico. Quantico. That's the Quantico. TV series. Quantico. All right. And they have the case of uh, two. I think they were Muslim girls, were identical twins, right? And they were taking turns. Oh. And that was part of the so they always had an strategy. Alibi, yeah, 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 always. Yeah. I mean, it's quite fun. And I think we were discussing before recording that um, identical twins are the kind of catnip of psychological research. <laughs> yeah. Especially, <laughs> especially ones that have been separated at birth because you yeah. remove all those, you know, kind of obvious differences and you can just focus on the thing you're trying to figure out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, this identical twin stuff was apparently 
to do with when we look at other people, because we're not twins, when like when we look at each other, we have a, a self-image yeah. of what we look like. Mm-hmm. And in our brains, we know, when I look at you, I know I'm not looking in a mirror mm-hmm. because of this self yeah, it's like you have a some model. kind of awareness. Yeah, it's like a model that you have in your head uh-huh. that tells you that's not you, right? And obviously, for a twin, it isn't there. So it doesn't make you think about when an identical twin looks in a mirror, do they ever doubt? Or let us say an identical twin is walking down a street, glances in a shop window, sees their reflection and wonders... Is that me or is that my twin? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That kind of... Unlike, you know, that thing where you can angle mirrors, where you get multiple, you know, all these kinds of confusing... Yeah, yeah, of course. Visuals. Uh, like amusement park yeah, rooms with uh, mirrors. Yeah. If you're an identical twin, what goes on in your head when you're seeing all these? Yeah. It, it's quite interesting, isn't it? I'm not, I don't know what use it is, but... Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Uh, I think it's always fascinating to think about because there's also a lot of stories about twins, the fact that they can yeah. sense each other oh, or right. have the same feelings, have yeah. even the same uh, ideas or yeah. reactions. But uh, something I've read is that if you have identical twins raised, obviously, together, then you know this, like, nurture-nature thing. Mm-hmm. Um, which is like uh, either nature influences your development or nurture how your the environment in which you're brought up. So you you can kind of get your head around if you're an identical twin and you're raised in a family and you're treated the same, blah 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 mm-hmm. blah, blah. Then potentially you're actually going to think in similar ways, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, really. for sure. And that this idea of my uh, friend, Denise, she's a twin, not an identical twin. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but she's a twin. Which uh, she created, by the way, the intro music for us. Correct. She wrote the music. Denise, yeah. thank you very much. And um, she has had many occasions where, for example, this is a very small, mm-hmm. a small example of this kind of thing, where they buy, say, a birthday card or a Christmas card for somebody like their parents or whatever, or sibling, because they they have brothers, or each other, mm-hmm. and they buy the same card. The same card. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. And they're like hundreds of miles apart. Yeah, total and, different countries. And they buy the same card. <laughs> right? I think yeah. that's a small example of this nurture-nature thing, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what are the effects it has on you, the way your brain works. Mm-hmm. So there you go. That's the cognition, cognition prize. It's very interesting. And now it's your turn for the obstetrics. Oh, God. <laughs> okay, thank you very much. I think this is the last one, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, this is very interesting, I think. Uh, the obstetrics prize uh, was awarded to Spain, mm-hmm. a team from Spain. Uh, Marissa Lopez Tejon, Tejon I think. Alex Garcia and Alberto Prats Gellino and Louis Pallares, I think. Pallares. Pallares, right. Oh, uh, well, how do you say that last name there? Pallares Aniorte. I'm glad you're on board. I should have got you to do this. Anyway, 
what they showed was that the developing human fetus responds more strongly mm-hmm. to music that is played inside the mother's vagina than to music that is played on the mother's belly. Yeah. We have seen a lot of images about people putting headphones and things like this in the belly to create like a chamber there and the music being... Because apparently it does influence brain behavior. Ah, and development. This has been shown, right? Yeah. But apparently the best performance space, (laughs) if I can say that, for that music is somewhere a little more... Down. Personal. Mm-hmm. A little more internalized. And the conclusion that they came to... Yeah. I mean, I'm sure this was a very fascinating experiment to carry out. <laughs> and I'm just glad to see there were some women involved. Um, that is, in the scientists. Yeah. Um, the, the conclusions they came to uh, was that... Um, the neural pathways that participate in the auditory motor system develop as early as week 16. 16. And that these findings may actually contribute to new diagnostic methods for testing of prenatal hearing uh, and potentially research into fetal neurological stimulation. Now, a little interesting footnote... (laughs) if that's the right word, is is that this, as a result of this research, this team have actually developed a product called BabyPod. The BabyPod. Did you actually follow that link? No, but we can do that. While I'm just talking, would you just follow it? Because I've got to see what this looks like. Well... I've got a guess. Yeah, I've got an idea. I've got an idea as well. (laughs) Anyway, they... Uh, came up with a product which you can actually buy, as far as I can tell. And create this stimulation. But Optimize your yeah. feedback loop with your your uh, your baby, your um your growing fetus. Yeah. Oh, we're having trouble here, aren't we? Yeah, it's not loading it's, right now, but uh well, it's a very popular website, I would imagine. <laughs> anyway, they but, will give a link to it. I'm just trying to understand how is better. Is it maybe because of the position of the head of the baby? I think it's acoustics. Yeah, acoustics. Well, that's why exactly what I was thinking about. You know, the reverb or it's the more sound direct, right? is more direct because it's inside, right? But <laughs> the effect, or maybe it's more clear. Because it's inside. Because if it's outside, is it? the acoustic still should go and the sound still goes through. Does the baby pod turn the vaginal cavity into a loudspeaker? A reverberal chamber. Yeah. The reverb is shorter, so it bounces faster, it, the sound. Well, and... it, it channels the sound directly. I can only imagine that the baby pod is Bluetooth enabled, is my guess. Right. Yeah, on, uh, I think that'd be a good idea. <laughs> and I think there's a clue in the name Baby Pod for which where to get the app that connects to it. 
<laughs> That's all I'm saying. Well, for sure you will find the the link in the show notes. Yeah, we uh, can't load it at the moment, can we? Are you going to try again? Yeah. Because we ju- we just want to have a look at it, don't we? We should have done this beforehand, but... So we have got various theories about why this works. Okay, good. I'm sure it's to do with acoustics. Yeah, I'm it's, almost it, sure it's, it's about that. It's got to be, hasn't it? Have you got it? Let's see now. I think people are beginning to lose the plot. Okay, so finally we have it, actually. We found it. Yes. Uh, it's a pack, a pink pad, mm. uh, pack, a box, same baby pot, mm. and it includes a case, yeah. and inside the case you get... It's like a specialized headphone. Yeah, it's like a headphone, practically. But it's not stereo, right? <laughs> I don't think so, no. I, I, neither do I. That is a very interesting design. Yeah, but it's interesting because, actually, they offer you two things here. One is the pod, which is connected through any headphone jack. On any or any phone. On, yeah. Yeah. Then it has a kind of control, like a... Volume, I suspect. Volume, Yeah. Then continues the cable, and then it's all like in a kind of a bigger headphone. Can I just like, uh, ask, yeah. on what basis would you adjust the volume? That's interesting. Maybe they have an app. Uh, oh, you 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 rest the phone on your belly, and you can see and the app has a feedback. Uh, um, who knows? Maybe it picks up the yeah the vibration. Plus, you can have also headphones plugged. You see, here are the headphones. Oh, to join in. To so join in. You can listen to the same thing. It's like a family, uh, it's like a family um, affair. Yeah. I, <laughs> how much is it, Rafa? Let's see. Let's see the price. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting also. We love this product. There's a video also. Yeah, well, I don't think we should watch this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's see. Let's buy baby pod, auxiliary headphones, case, uh, setting bag, user's manual, and warranty. Whoa, look at the price of that. Now, this was adapted to the uh, place we are now. Let me search for it and make a conversion. That's about 190 UK pounds. Let's see now. Come on. 690 Ron. This is the cost of... uh, Maybe some normal headphones also. 150 euro. 150 euros is about 170 pounds. 160 pounds. So about how many dollars is 133 that? pounds. How, how much? 133. How many dollars? And in what, dollars, let's see. Is. It's like four. 180 dollars. That's quite expensive, right? Yeah. I don't know. I, I, and in the jack says baby pod. Yeah, there's a lot of detail. It's a quality, you can see it's a quality pod. Yeah, look at that. Look at that. That is interesting. I, I, we're going to put the link in the show notes so you can see. Uh, if you go to buy the product, you can see more detailed images, yeah, actually. Lots of images there. Where they, how they encapsulate the speaker. Yeah. My, my. It has like a filter, therefore. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I think we should move swiftly on there. 
Uh, I, I mean, my my impressions are that one, it could do with being self-powered and being Bluetoothed. Mm-hmm. But I can understand how that is the lowest technology cost approach. Yeah. Right? And this control here in the middle I suspect that we that's say is you, volume. That's where you plug in the extra I think, headphones. I think you plug them, the other ones, yeah. Yeah, it's like a T junction, isn't it? Uh-huh, uh-huh. But anyway. Now, interesting is that they say that this is the only product of its kind scientifically guaranteed. Yeah. Okay. Guaranteed to what? To work. <laughs> that's a, that's a, because Baby Pod gives them their first musical and learning experience. Yeah, but we know there are other ways of doing it. But mm-hmm. well, but this is a matter of quality, not quantity. Yeah. Right? So, a very interesting bit of research. I yes, think. this was a very interesting show in general because with this was the last. Uh, what was the last item? The last item in the list of the winners. Yes, and uh, a very good range of research this year. Yeah. As it is and every year. As like every year. Totally different from what was last year, for yeah, example. totally. And we'd like to say again that we would like to be there. Yeah. That would be really something to attend to the next one live. Should, I think we should write to them. I think we yeah. should. Well, last year they retweeted us yes. with our link to our show, actually, yes. officially. Yes. That was very nice. Yeah, Maybe this year nice. they will do the same. Yes. And that would be great if we could be there next year. An invite would be one. An invite, yeah. And, and we two could... air tickets would be even better. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Well, you know. Yeah, yeah, you know. We're old people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we could be making interviews, like we said, after each... I think that would be a rather wonderful interview. That would be a great show, actually. I think so. Anyway. Because the person itself will tell us about their research. Yes, we'd like to hear it. Imagine the amount of questions that we will have in that moment. Yes, that first, and we could take listeners' questions. And mm-hmm. That would be great, I right? I think it would be a really good show. Mm-hmm. Maybe they will steal our idea, actually. <laughs> well, that's usually what happens. Yeah, that's what happens usually. We've been there before. So. Yeah. So, are we done? Yeah, we're done for today. Today was a special show, The Ignoble Prices. Yeah, very enjoyable. We love them. We love them. And we think the world is a, a richer place. Definitely. For the ignorance. So, see you next week, Carl. Yeah, see you, Rafa. Bye bye. All names, sounds, logos, and other related items are owned by their respective trademark and copyright holders. This podcast is a production of Dark Mind Radio. Go to darkmindradio.com to find out more. All rights reserved. Dark Mind Radio 2017